more. Has your dream become your idol? Well, the gift that is meant to help you can just as easily harm you. It all depends on how you hold it. More on that in this week's episode of Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. I'm your host, Wade Joy. This is a weekly podcast to help you reset your rhythms and renew your dreams as you dream the way a disciple does with open hands. Last week, we talked about answering the question, what should I dream about? That we need to have spiritual disciplines in place that allow us to pivot our hearts daily from striving to surrender as we follow Jesus as a disciple first. Because a disciple can dream, but a disciple dreams with open hands of surrender. So I'm excited to explore that practice of surrender a bit deeper today. But first, one of the greatest joys in my life is being a dad. I have three daughters, and one of my favorite things to do every week is to take one of them on a daddy date. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. I'm not trying to say I'm father of the year, but we do try to make it a priority. And my youngest daughter, Sydney, she is the one who is the most adamant about making sure her daddy date happens. And it's because she loves two things. I wish I could say one of those things was the amazing conversations we have, but really she loves that she gets to control the playlist and she gets to choose the menu. So number one, she gets to control the playlist. So she chooses all the music we listen to in the car. And we don't always agree on that because our musical tastes are slightly different, but we always agree on the menu because Sydney got her father's sweet tooth. And I feel like it's my my fatherly duty to, if she's going to get ice cream, I don't want her to eat ice cream alone, so I'm going to get ice cream too. Or if she wants a snow cone, then I've got to do my duty as a dad and get a snow cone as well. So yes, I love the fact that I get to indulge my sweet tooth on our daddy dates, but more than anything else, I love our time together. I love our conversations I love our car rides together. And I was thinking just recently about how something that's so fun and so delightful could quickly become destructive just by the simple fact of Sydney and I changing our seats in the car. Because Sydney makes an amazing passenger, but she would make a terrible driver. She is not meant to be in that seat. Uh, That would be a horrible parenting decision, a very poor public safety choice. But I love her in the car. I don't want to kick her out of the car. I want her in there with me. But she should never be in the driver's seat because the right seat makes all the difference. If she was in the wrong position, we'd be in a lot of trouble. It'd be dangerous. But in her proper place, it's wonderful. She is a great passenger, but a bad driver. And that's a principle that holds true in all areas of life, that a good thing that was meant by God to bring delight can actually be a dangerous thing when handled incorrectly. And I've seen this in a lot of areas of my life, and there's been a scripture that the Lord has used to to really bring this to the surface in my own heart, and I pray that it'll be instructive uh, for you because I've kept coming back to it over and over again the past couple of years. And so it's from 2 Kings, and just to set up some context, the Israelites are in a pattern of idolatry where bad king after bad king continues to turn the people's hearts away from the Lord as they worship false gods and idols. And every now and then you get a good God-fearing king who attempts to break that cycle and bring the people back to the true worship of the Lord. And Hezekiah is one of those good kings. And so right here in 2 Kings 18, verses 3 through 4, we see him trying to bring repentance 
and reform back to the nation. And it says this, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. Now, I had read that passage many times before in my life, but only in the last several years did that part just seem to jump off the page for me. The part that says that he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it. What is so fascinating to me and interesting is that that is the same bronze serpent that God instructs Moses to make in Numbers 21, hundreds and hundreds of years before. That's when Moses was leading the Israelites through the wilderness and the Israelites constantly complained and they grumbled and they doubted God. And after one of those times when the Israelites were grumbling against the Lord and against Moses, God sends just a plague of serpents really against the people. And when the serpents would bite somebody, then they would die. And so Moses intercedes on behalf of the people before God. And the Lord in his mercy says this in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. So then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bit anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So imagine that. The people are dying. Moses comes out with this bronze serpent that God had told him to make, and if people looked at the serpent by faith, believing they would be healed, they would be. Now, in the overall context of Scripture, this is an ultimate foreshadowing of what Christ would do on the cross because Jesus says in John 3, 14 and 15, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in Him. So that's what it's foreshadowing and pointing to. But for the purposes of our time together today, what struck me was this. That the very thing that was meant to draw people's hearts to the Lord by faith, this bronze serpent, hundreds of years later was now leading people's hearts away from God. That the same instrument that was meant to be a tool to help the people turn to Yahweh for deliverance uh, was the very thing that was turning them away from Yahweh. What was once meant to bring worship to Christ was now the object of worship. What was once a gift had now become a false god. And I've been asking myself over the last several years and praying, like, are there any bronze serpents in my life that were given to me as a gift from the Lord to draw my heart to Him, but now I'm holding incorrectly and they have become something that is harming me? And I believe one of the greatest gifts that God can give us is a dream, but it's also one of those things that is so easily held incorrectly. And when it's held incorrectly, it can harm us in some very subtle but significant ways. Because a dream can motivate us to do amazing things in the kingdom of God when it's in the right seat. But when we put the dream in the driver's seat and pursue it above all else, that's when things get destructive. Because a dream can be a beautiful desire, but it's also a very bad driver. A dream submitted to the Lord can help other people encounter Jesus and draw our hearts to Him. But a dream that becomes a driver becomes dangerous because it can lead us to start following the dream more than we are following Christ. So we start to equate our dream with our destiny. We start to believe that our plans are God's purpose, 
But Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Just because it's your plan does not mean it's God's purpose. Now, maybe the dream you have is something God gave you that He will bring to pass. And I've had those times in my life, but I've also had the times in my life where I had a dream and I had a plan and it didn't happen. And so if your plans are not God's purpose for your life, and that dream is what you've built your life around, you've built your faith around it, you've built your purpose around God doing everything that you wanted, that you planned, that you dreamed, that will lead your world crashing down around you because it was the wrong driver. It wasn't the foundation that your faith was meant to be built upon. It's not the foundation that will withstand the storms of life that bring disappointment. So we have to be so careful about taking our dreams and turning them into God's destiny for our lives. We have to guard against taking our plans and turning them into God's purpose because that puts you and your dream in the driver's seat when you do that. And your life is meant to be centered around God, not your dreams. But here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying ignore your dreams. I'm not saying to not work hard at them. In fact, you should work to bring them to pass. You should use them to motivate you uh, as you use your gifts from the Lord, but your dream just has to be in its proper place. Don't let them become the bronze serpent. Don't let your dream become a bad driver. Keep it in the car. Just don't let it drive. Let the main pursuit in your life be following Jesus, not chasing a dream. But here's what's tricky. That may look very similar on the outside, as you do the things to bring your dreams to pass, but it's a very different heart posture uh, when your dream is in the wrong position. When your dream is in a surrendered position, sometimes everything on the outside looks the same, but your heart is very, very different. So I wanna share two ways that will indicate if your dream has become a bad driver, two factors that when left unchecked can cause your dream to turn into an idol. So I want to give you some tools to pray through because knowing if your heart is in this position of, you know, your dream being a good driver or a bad driver, if it's in its right spot, um, these are very subtle. And I want to help you pray and ask God to show you if you need His grace to name and overcome these tendencies. And the two that we're going to talk about for the rest of our time are this. Number one, identifying yourself by your gift. And number two, striving to be seen as special. Identifying yourself by your gift and striving to be seen as special. I believe both of these tendencies, both of these patterns um, end up putting your dream in the driver's seat and making your dream a bad driver in your life. And let's talk about the first one, identifying yourself by your gift. Now, first of all, what do I mean by gift? I'm talking about anything the Lord gave you, both your talents and your spiritual gifts uh, that are meant to be used for His glory and to serve others. Now, there's a difference between talents and spiritual gifts. Anyone can have a talent, but spiritual gifts are given and enabled through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you may have a talent as a good singer and the spiritual gift of prophecy, which work together in you as a, as a great worship leader. I'm talking about both talents and spiritual gifts here because I think we tend to define ourselves by, by all of it. And sometimes we begin to equate our purpose by the thing that we're gifted at or think that we're gifted at. And I know this firsthand because for almost 25 years, I was a worship leader. I loved it. I felt close to the Lord when I did it. I felt like God used it. I felt like He gave me those gifts and those talents. 
And I saw God move in other people's lives through it. It brought me a lot of joy. And I believe that the Lord gave me an assignment for over half my life to do that. But what I found when I stepped away from leading worship about six years ago was that I didn't know who I was anymore without using that gift. I remember feeling incredibly disoriented that I wasn't Wade the worship leader anymore because for over two decades, that's how I thought of myself. And I had preached to people You know, you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by who God says you are. But I had built so much of my identity around what I thought was valuable to God, what I thought was valuable in service to Him. I defined myself and identified by my gift. I realized I'd taken a gift God had given me, leading worship and something I enjoyed doing, and I'd made that gift into my purpose. And I thought, Only in using that gift could I live in purpose. And so anytime something would threaten that or threaten to take that gift out of the spotlight, I got defensive, I clung to it, I tried to protect it. I felt like my purpose was being threatened. I was pursuing and protecting my gift rather than trusting in the one who gave it to me. And it took me letting go of that gift to stop clinging to it and identifying as Wade the worship leader to finally be able to rest in who I really was, Wade, the child of God, and Wade, the follower of Jesus, Wade, who was loved um, by his father and creator. And I'm not saying God's going to ask you to lay down your gift like that, but I do believe that we all have the tendency to identify ourselves by what we love doing and by our passions. And those are things that God gave you to use for his glory but they were never meant to define you. So let me take it out of my context and put it into yours. What is the gift or passion or talent in your life that you think you can't live without, that you wouldn't know who you were without? That's the thing I want you to get into your mind right now. Now, it's most likely a good thing given to you by God as a blessing and a gift that you can use for His glory, but that is not the thing that defines you. And when you think that you can't live without the gift, that is when it has become a bad and destructive driver. When you think the gift defines you, it is no longer being held correctly because you are holding on to it with clenched fists and not open hands. And here's what I want to speak over you today, whether you're listening to, to this at home or in the car or at work. Here's what I learned in this season, and I believe God wants to get into your heart today. Your gift was given to you by God to be an offering, not a crown. Your gift was given to you by God to be an offering unto Him not a crown. You were given the gift uh, to use, to offer back up to the Lord. He takes such delight in you using the gift when you're actually using it in the right way. But it was never meant to be a crown that defines you and that brings glory to you. The gift was meant to bring glory to the giver. Your gift must be surrendered to God. He never said he would bow to your gift. And so one thing that helped me, one perspective shift is I used to think, when I offered my gift of leading worship, that I was offering it to people and that they would be blessed through my gift. But the mindset shift that helped me was um, to stop thinking of offering the gift to people, but instead to offer it to God. I'm God, I'm giving you this offering. And in turn, you're going to take it, you're going to multiply it, you're going to use it however you want to use it to bless and to minister to your people. See, my gift was never my purpose. Your gift is not your purpose. It's a means to live out of our purpose of knowing and following Jesus, of loving God and loving others. Plus, there are different gifts that God brings out in different seasons of your life. And if you spend your whole life clinging to one gift, 
your hands aren't open to the new thing God wants to do in your life. I would have never been open to teaching and preaching and doing a podcast and writing a book if I was still holding on to the identity of just being a worship leader. So don't cling to the gift, cling to Christ and keep your hands open. Your gift isn't your purpose. Your gift isn't your crown and your gift isn't what makes you special. That leads me to the second uh, heart check that you can do to see if your uh, your gift has become a bad driver, if your dream has become a bad driver, and it's this, striving to be seen as special. Striving to be seen as special. I read a book recently by Arthur C. Brooks. He's a Harvard professor and author who studies and teaches on the science of happiness. And while this book isn't necessarily making its case from a perspective of faith, there's much that I found fascinating in it. And perhaps what stood out the most to me was a statement that a very successful but unhappy business leader made to Arthur uh, about how they were unwilling to make some changes in their life, even though they knew they needed to. And this is what they said, I guess I'd rather be special than happy. I guess I'd rather be special than happy. And I, I read that and it stopped me in my tracks because of how much I related to the sentiment, but in a slightly different way, because there are times that I would rather be special than surrendered. Uh, There were times that I would rather be special than content. I'd rather be special than make the hard decisions that would lead to wholeness. See, we all want to be seen as special, but in striving for specialness, we often sacrifice what is most important. We sacrifice our peace. We sacrifice uh, the most meaningful relationships. We sacrifice our gratitude for where we are and what God has done in our attempt to receive the validation of others, and especially sometimes the validation of strangers, we stop rooting ourselves in what truly makes us special, that we are known, loved, and approved of by God through Jesus Christ. And instead of finding our validation in what lasts, the search for specialness leads us to chase validation in all the wrong things. And we've all been there. And here's one I think we can all easily relate to. We're tempted to manipulate how life looks on social media to be seen as impressive or like we have everything together, rather than starting with, you know, is this post something that is real? Is it helpful? Or am I just putting out there to receive validation from strangers so that I think I'm significant because they think I'm significant? Um, Here's some personal examples in my life. When my youngest daughter, Sydney, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, that was four years after our twins were born three months premature at 27 weeks. And I'd spent three months in the hospital and you know we were told that that they most likely wouldn't survive. My daughter Liana had a grade four brain bleed, and we went through such a traumatic um, roller coaster ride with them that God did miracle after miracle through. But it was still it took a heavy emotional toll on us. And then four years later, to get another diagnosis like cystic fibrosis, I was wrecked emotionally and spiritually, and my faith felt like it was hanging on by a thread. Yet I was afraid to truly open up to people because I felt like I had to be seen as having it all together. I felt like I had to have it all together for my family, for my wife, for my twins. Um, I felt like I had to be strong for my team at church. And I was afraid to let people know that I was hurting and struggling because I needed to be a special person of faith, a special leader. And I wouldn't have even put it in those terms at the time, but looking back, I realized that I... I had to put on this facade and I was afraid to show my weakness 
And in doing that, I sacrificed true vulnerability and relationships where I could have I could have received the grace of God, but instead of truly humbling myself before God and others, I wanted to be seen as special. So one lie the enemy is even telling me in this season as I transition away from staff at Elevation after 15 years is that um, I'm no longer special because I'm not part of something so big and massive and significant. And I'm having to root myself in the truth of who God says I am and his word to fight against that lie. And maybe the enemy's telling you that same kind of lie that because you're not attached to whatever it is that you deem as special, then your destiny, your your purpose, your, your calling isn't as special. But I'm here to tell you that none of those things define you or make you special. Your gift doesn't make you special. What you're attached to doesn't make you special. Your dream doesn't make you special. You are loved by your Father and Creator. That is what makes you special. You are uniquely shaped and formed by Him. And if you are in Christ, you have a relationship with the Almighty living God. You are special as a beloved child of God that Jesus died for and has redeemed. You don't have to strive to be special. That is not the right ambition. Live from the fact that you already are intricately made and known and loved by God. Let that love then give you a new ambition. Because I love what Paul says to strive for and to be ambitious about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And this flies in the face of what our culture preaches about being special. Here's what he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I love that he's commending their love and he's telling them, continue to do that more and more, love more and more, and make it your ambition to live a quiet life that wins the respect of outsiders. So what he's saying in effect is, if you're gonna be special, be special in how you love. Make that your ambition. Live out your purpose with such ambition that people take notice of the way you live and love. Your quiet uh, life can be just as impactful as the life of a so-called influencer when your quiet life resounds with the love of the gospel of Jesus. Yes, God gives some people massive platforms, and He uses that, and that is amazing and good, but it's no better than the person who lives the quiet life. You are just as loved by God. You are just as used by God. And you can have a great, amazing impact for God's kingdom through the way you love others and the way you honor Jesus through your life. So let's stop clinging to our gift. Let's stop clinging to our own sense of specialness and live life with open hands, ready to love and be generous with what God has entrusted to us. So as we close today, I want to I want to make this personal for you. Ask God now in prayer, as soon as the podcast is done, whether there is something that has become a bad driver in your life. And I want you to name it, and if possible, write it down. Are you identifying yourself by your gift? Are you striving to be seen as special? Have you become defensive and protective over a position or something that is threatening your preference? Name it and surrender it to the Lord because only when you name something before God can you bring it into the light so He can heal it. So name it, release it to your Father, put it in its proper place, submit it to the Lordship of Jesus.
So thank you so much for listening today. I hope it's been helpful and encouraging. And just want to remind you that new episodes uh, will release every single Monday. And I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast so we can help get this message out. Um, I'm so excited to be doing this. I can't wait uh, for the next several episodes and the things that we're going to walk through. And I'm also going to do periodic episodes focused on listener questions. So you can uh, just leave those for me on Instagram. And if you're not following me already, it's at Wade Joy, W-A-D-E-J-O-Y-E. And you can also visit my website for info on you know, bringing me into your church to preach or to coach or to serve in any capacity. It's wadejoy.com. And I look forward uh, to being with you next week on Dreamers and Disciples.